So on camera, like I, I just always had this fascination with the cameras. I can remember back to, I think I was coming back from Disney World, uh -huh. like family vacation. I was like six years old. My mom had a cassette camcorder uh -huh. and I was, we were sitting layover, for, you know, to go home and I just picked it up and I started vlogging. Like mm -hmm. this is, I said I was five or six, so this would have been like 2008 before YouTube and vlogging was like really massive. Yeah. And I was like just a little sitsy old kid with a camcorder recording myself. <laughs> hey guys, what's <laughs> up? It's Chris. <laughs> Welcome to my first grade life. No. <laughs> so Miss B today, she did this. No. <laughs> um, no. So, and that's where I got started with cameras and it fell off for a while. I got like hyper-focused on school, had a few jobs in between there. And then I'd say like my junior year of high school, um, it was whenever the solar eclipse happened. Mm -hmm. I think that's when I really like wanted to shoot it because I've always been fascinated with like space and meteorological uh, things to uh, mm -hmm. catch me storm chasing one of these days. It's uh, <laughs> so funny. Like Michael, who was just on the podcast right before you, uh, he was talking about how like when he was a kid, he wanted to be a storm chaser. That's funny. That's I love it. It's <laughs> like I and so many people call me crazy because they're like, you're going to die. And I'm like, I'll die in a tornado. That's dope. Like, that's a cool story. <laughs> Like, but anyway. why, why not exactly it, like, like the they'll see me flying across the sky and be like oh there he goes <laughs> but um <laughs> no and so the eclipse happened and so i borrowed my mom's camera she had a nikon d5100 um mm -hmm. no one's gonna know what that is 300 millimeter super telephoto lens i took those like solar you know glasses that you'd mm -hmm. wear for uh the eclipse and i cut a bunch of them up and took the the filter that let you like look at the sun and i taped a bunch of them together with clear packing tape to make a filter for my lens really? so it wouldn't burn the sensor <laughs> and i went out and i shot the eclipse i took the day off school and i just went out and did it with my dad and since then i've shot a lot of like astrophotography stuff mm -hmm. um super wolf blood moon in 2019 um and i was like yo this is kind of fun and to learn how to shoot the eclipse, I had to just dive into research, mm -hmm. like just teach myself how to do it. Cause it was like, it was, it was like a perfect case. Cause I, I had this way to, I had a deadline, which was mm -hmm. the day of the eclipse. It was like mid August. Um, and I had to learn how to use a piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. And after that I was like, yo, this is, this is great. And so I started researching different cameras. Um, I was, probably a sophomore at the time, like mid-sophomore year of high school. Mm -hmm. um, and so I didn't have a lot of money. I had never had a job before at that point. Um, I got a job at a skating rink to help fund my expensive hobby. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and boy, how expensive is oh it? Oh my God. <laughs> uh, if you heard just the amount that I spent today on a new lens and some gear. <laughs> yeah, it's a probably a semester's tuition. Mm, about half, <laughs> but, uh, no, it, it's stupid expensive, but once you have it, it's kind of an investment. It lasts mm -hmm. forever. Yeah. Not the cameras, but the lenses and stuff, they last forever. Mm -hmm. And I just started diving into it head first. And that was, well, I said I was a junior when I like really dove into photography. So it's been four years since mm -hmm. then. Um, and I haven't looked back like one bit. Nice. And that's behind the camera, but I've also, on the flip side of that, that's me learning how to do photography videography. Um, on the flip side of that, I've also, uh, not to expose myself here, that's I did. Late. You've already done it. <laughs> you haven't even said a word about it yet. You've already, you know you're what already it committed. Is. <laughs> um, not to expose myself, but I had a YouTube channel when I was like 10, 11 years old. I'd mm -hmm. film like gaming videos, Minecraft, Happy Wheels, stuff like that. Uh, in my bedroom using like 
whatever free software was available to yeah. record my screen and use a cheap webcam my dad had. And that even drew uh, some bit with like production and live streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a moment, I don't, no one probably knows who this is, but Molt, he like does Clash of Clans stuff mm-hmm. on YouTube. He has like 2 million subscribers. But back before he was super big, he probably had like 60,000 subscribers at the time. Uh-huh. Um, he like rated my stream and I had like 4,000 people in my live stream. I was 12 years old. I was like, I have no clue what to do. Like now looking back on that, I'm like, I could have capitalized on that and like yeah. turned that into something. But I was like shell shot. I was like, I, I was just paralyzed. I had no clue what to do. It's really funny that, that you're, I, I didn't know that there was like this, this missing component to what I'm engaged in as a parent now until you're explaining this to me at the moment, because your parents are probably just, older enough that like they don't have the conceptualization of how to guide a 12 year old through the creative process Mm -hmm. of like managing a YouTube audience now. But like I'm 32 with 11 year olds in the house going, I'm about to have to navigate them through the creative process of managing a YouTube. Well, it's funny you brought that up because (laughs) I actually want to give a shout out to my dad who he is a commander in the air national guard. He's done public relations for 30 years. He was Mm -hmm. a photographer for the, you know, the base paper for a number of years. Um, This is what he did, you know, as a career and not like photography, videography per se, but Mm -hmm. um, definitely along the realm of marketing, public relations, writing, stuff like that. And so he has been like a backbone to my growth and success. Uh Because anytime I have a question that I don't know the answer to, he's my first person I ask. And if he doesn't know, then, you know, Google. But (laughs) (laughs) um, like, I feel like a lot of people don't have that. And I'm very, very grateful that I I had that as a resource to go to. Well, that is (laughs) a spot on point for a transition because this is something that you're going to have, is the audience something to reference and look back here uh, for episode 86 of the WTF Carbondale podcast, where we talk to interesting people about their interesting lives, and we tie it all back to this little old place we call home, Carbondale, Illinois. And I'm excited to have uh, a guest that kind of fits one of my molds of somebody that I've never met before, right? Like, I, I just, I love doing the conversation with the folks where it's like, it really is 100% square one exploratory conversation. We've gotten to do a little bit of, uh, you know, getting to know each other as, as you've done some photos around the building uh, this evening, but but it's just been a really good precursor to this conversation. I'm glad you were able to make the time for this. and, and I'm glad to it. be so here. The, uh, the, no, I mean, it's to have a parent be able to guide you through a process like this. I mean, it's it's generational knowledge. I mean, mm-hmm. what is what does it feel like to have that as an underpinning of what will be your long-term success? I didn't have to read a lot of books. <laughs> My dad did all of that for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, it gave me a head start, yeah. right? So I'm a cinema major at SIU, senior graduating this December. Even though you're only 19, but we'll get to that point <laughs> shortly. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I got that head start mm-hmm. because of self-teaching, but also having that resource, you know? And I don't want to say he taught me most of what I know, but he was there for encouragement. And in points where I got stuck, he was definitely there to keep moving me along, Mm -hmm. right? So it it was more of um, just a guide, I want to say, or like, I I probably avoided, I don't know if I did, but I probably (laughs) avoided a lot of like failures uh-huh. and like shortcomings because he was there like, eh, maybe you shouldn't do that. Yeah. I have an LLC founded for the sole reason that I wanted to go shoot 
video for a business and my yeah. dad was like, I don't want them to sue us. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> he had me form an LLC. Yeah. He had no clue how to do that. So that was all on me to research and uh-huh. figure out how to form a business. But um, still there was that guidance that, you know, okay, that's something I'd never considered before. Like what happens if they don't like my product and they try to sue for damages or mm-hmm. anything like that? Mm-hmm. That's something that never crossed my mind. I was 17 at the time. Yeah. Um, and he was there to just point me in the right direction, you know? Yep. Um, so it's definitely been a great resource to have. So you're, is it, you guys live in the Metro East. Did your dad work at Scott Air Force Base then, or is that? That's like- the reason we moved there is Scott yeah. Air Force Base. Um, he was active duty for 12 years, mm-hmm. and then um, he took some time off, worked at Veterans Affairs and DRS Technologies, you know, other companies around the mm-hmm. St. Louis area. Um, and then I want to say six or seven years ago now, he jumped back into the national guard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now he's a Lieutenant Colonel commander of the 131st air logistics readiness squadron. I think I nailed that. Right. <laughs> it's always like this big long title that I can't remember, uh-huh. but, um, so he jumped back into the air national guard. So it's part time. He works at national geospatial intelligence agency as his full-time job. Dude, the, the G- People don't realize, and I've, I've had like a small mention of this on the podcast somebody before, I can't remember who, but like the amount of like geospatial, like, <laughs> you know, low earth orbit, or I don't mm-hmm. even know if I'm saying the right thing here, but like just you know, anything that is in orbit around the earth right now that's like documenting mm-hmm. anything from your Google Maps to like high resolution like yep. military imagery that we'll never see ourselves ever right? and we don't like, even know if they have like <laughs> the, the, that stuff that stuff exists yeah because well, of the activity of scott air force base in the surrounding area yep and i have no clue what he does at his job i know he's an editor yeah. so he he looks at things and he edits them yeah but um other than that i'm when he got that job there was people showing up at our house interviewing neighbors and stuff oh, like yeah. just all the time so he could get a top security clearance. Yep. But yeah, I have no clue what goes on day to day at his job. <laughs> and that's weird because most people are like, yeah, my dad does this and it's a good conversation starter. And I just have to be like, <laughs> my no dad, clue. My dad can't say a thing. Cool. Yep. Right, we'll, we'll move on from this conversation then just for safety's sake. <laughs> we don't want to impede on anything. Right. If you guys, if the government's watching this, you're not. Right. You're not watching this. <laughs> So what, what, what brought you to SIU and, and Carbondale? Like, how'd you make the jump from uh, the Metro East to here? So I was looking at, you know, communication schools for cinema, you know, especially. Mm-hmm. And um, Webster University was a bid first choice. Mm-hmm. And then, like, everything else was, like, New York or Chicago. And mm-hmm. I really didn't want to go to Chicago. Yeah. Um, and it was just, like, Webster University is a private university tuition was through the roof yeah and i was like you know i really don't want to spend that much and i was in a meeting one day with the head of running start uh Mm -hmm. program at swick and she was like yeah siu is doing this big scholarship right now like it's the university excellence and the chancellor scholarship Mm -hmm. and she was like you should apply for that and i was like okay (laughs) (laughs) and so i did and i honestly didn't have a second pick for a school i didn't have like any other schools lined up i was just like Okay, they're giving me money. Cool. Let's go. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm go. <laughs> well, and that, and that you know, and that ties into the thing of like being self-taught, and like so many of these industries now, whether it's computer science or mm-hmm. you know, uh, film and, and television like this, that really like the the schooling is the paper backup to the knowledge that you're gonna gain just by going out there and doing the work. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, even just being in a place like this right now. Yeah. 
I'm picking up little bits and pieces. I, I call it learning through osmosis because yeah. you're just absorbing information. Yeah. And I think that works so much better than the old university uh, like structure of yeah. education. And yeah, there's, there's a lot you learn from that. I think the university teaches you how to think, mm-hmm. but I don't think it actually teaches what you need to know for your you know, your career, like the te- the technical components. Yeah. Like it's more of these social, especially it so changes. It changes mm-hmm. so quickly. Like oh, yeah. what was true two years ago is not really true today. Yeah. Well, and I, I can't imagine what somebody who got a master's degree in the eighties, <laughs> like what that looks film, like. Film. You the stick the film day. through the camera, <laughs> wind it up, right. dark room. And I'm like, <laughs> I got a picture. Yeah. <laughs> right. The difference between ISO as like, a function that you just scroll through versus ISO is like you have different, different film stocks. Of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a, uh, there's a, there's an old photography instructor at, at SIU. He's, he's not there any longer. He's, he's retired. Dave Gilmore mm-hmm. I rode motorcycles with, I've, I've messaged him on Facebook. Haven't gotten back to him. It's been months, but like, I want to have a guy like that to talk to on the podcast. Who's been mm-hmm. doing this for, 50 plus years kind of see and the other end of this oh, like yeah. the other side of the story there's, right there's yeah. just so much there like in the in like the the functional like technical components of mechanical photography mm-hmm. i guess I, I don't know if that's actually what you call old school photography or uh, we call it analog analog okay. mm-hmm. and we actually have this kind of a large crowd of people going back to analog mm-hmm. for the sole purpose that so easily i mean on my camera i can shoot 20 frames per second i have a 128 gigabyte card i can yeah. take like twelve thousand photos in a matter of minutes <laughs> right it's ridiculous yeah and there's this group of people that are like we want to be more deliberate with our photos because on film analog cameras mm-hmm. once you take a picture you expose the film that is like money out of your pocket yeah <laughs> right like i have an sd card i can dump and reload that sd card as many times as yeah. i want but on film you're invested into each fit picture you take and so there's people jumping back into that because they're like I don't want to just fire away and hope I die a good picture. They want to be deliberate about their compositions, mm-hmm. deliberate about their exposure, their subject, all of that. And I don't know. I feel like I could be one of those people if I knew how to shoot analog. Mm-hmm. I just don't. Yeah. So you got time, man. <laughs> like it's. I can go buy a disposable camera day. from you know Walgreens and call it a day. Right. <laughs> shoot, yeah. shoot on there. <laughs> snap. Yep. <laughs> Roll snap. I mean, those pictures look great. Yeah. Honestly, like I, I always used to think they're like cheap little cameras, but like they actually look like good pictures once you take them. Uh-huh. You know, especially compared to a lot of people. I mean, phones have gotten crazy good nowadays. Yeah. Like, I mean, if I was on a vacation, I, I am halfway planning to maybe go to Israel mm-hmm. in January, and just like as a as a retreat, and I want to bring my camera so bad. But at the same time, I'm like, do I want to lug all this luggage check? You know, Mm -hmm. I'm carrying around thousands of dollars of equipment around a foreign country that's kind of war torn. Mm -hmm. Like, do I want to do that or do I want to just take my phone and get some pretty damn good pictures regardless? I mean, just take the phone. I'll I'll tell you, my 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 good friend, Andrew, who hopefully I'll have on the podcast here just in the next week as (laughs) he swings through town. The um, I can't remember what country he went to somewhere in South America and like he got he got jacked not like at knife point like give me your stuff but like he set his camera gear underneath his mm-hmm. seat on a bus and someone guys, grabbed it yeah they 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 zipped it open or they cut it open they pulled his gear and that was that and it's mm-hmm. like we're talking about a guy who's traveled all over the world nearly you know probably probably five of 
however many continents, right? Seven I continents, yeah. I wanted to say seven, and I was like, what if there I are think more it's than seven. seven continents? Now you're making me second guess myself. <laughs> right? It's like, has global warming caused nine continents? I don't know. But the, so he, so he's traveled all over the world, and like, he let his guard down thinking, oh, I'm just on vacation. I'm not shooting, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Syrian refugees in, in a, you know, Jordanian refugee camp. I'm not, uh, you know, shooting uh, in the mountains of Azerbaijan. I'm not on the beach in, in Australia. Like, I'm just chilling yep. in, in, you know, wherever I'm at. Like, I can, I can write it out. And he got, he got ganked. Yep. And so, yeah. I mean, I've I, seen I, people I totally in L.A., like, there's been videos of, like, someone's dash cam. They were like making a left-hand turn, and some dude literally got out of the car, smashed the back window, grabbed a camera badge, and ran. Yeah, in traffic. And I'm like, yeah. it didn't happen anywhere. And it's that easy. It's it's <laughs> yep. so much easier to take than it is to build the setting, right? It's like it's so difficult. Oh my god, to walk up, smash somebody's window, grab and gun. Yep. Uh, yeah, that would suck. That I would. Suck. I would like. I, I've told people before. I'm like, if I got any of my gear stolen, I don't think I would ever do photography again. I would just quit and be like, all right. I submit. I'm a joint society. I'll be a, nah. like I'll be an accountant. Nah, you know. Nah, nah, you'll never you'll never lose the bug, man. Now you're there. I told my friend that, and he goes, "You'll get it alone." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, so what? I mean, what pulled you this direction? Because you taught, you know, it, and, we'll, and we'll get into the stuff that you were telling me before the podcast. Where you're mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm a I'm a smart guy who got college credits in in high school, and that's why I was able to like get through my bachelor's degree so quickly mm-hmm. um but like what drew you this direction versus any of the other ways that you could apply like your mental talents um well so i was saying kind of at the beginning i got like super hyper focused on school mm-hmm. um so i i did this program called running start uh it's at southwestern illinois college mm-hmm. or swick it's in the belleville area uh, belleville area of like the metro east st Louis. Mm-hmm. um and that allows people to get their associate's degrees or at least college credits if they're not so applied mm-hmm. um, while they're in college or while they're in high school. So uh, I think my high school between Belleville East and Belleville West, probably 2,000 people in my class total, uh, 20 people tested and got selected for it. So there's like, basically, I think they, everyone took a test and then out of the people that passed the test, they ranked them by GPA, mm-hmm. and that's they chose the top 20. That's how they chose it. It's kind of a weird choice, in my opinion, because you could do the best on the test and have the lowest GPA and not get in. Mm-hmm. But um, that's how they selected the people for the program, and I took like 20 to 22 credit hours each semester uh, for two years, mm-hmm. and graduated with an Associates of Science and an Associates of Art, uh-huh. and that was a headache. Yeah. And then I came here, and uh, I, it's been nice. I feel like I'm not in school, yeah. and I've been taking 16 credit hours each semester. Because um, you're used to doing a lot more. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, it feels like a it. vacation, but I mean, I'm just trying to get out of school, to be yeah. honest, like as soon as possible. Um, this is my last semester. I said I'd graduate this December. Yeah. Um, and so I started last fall. So I've only been at SIU for... This is my third semester plus mm-hmm. a summer semester, uh, but I'm just ready to get out. But I, I was didn't do computer science for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, all through my junior college experience or community college experience, um, I went through the calculus series. I tested into calculus one and they made me take trig anyways. That kind of sucked. Those jerks. <sighs> I told my chem- chemistry <laughs> professor that and he said, 
That's actually fucking stupid. You should have told them assholes to let you into calculus. That's what he said word for word. He was a great professor. Um, (laughs) He professed how what he felt. (laughs) What he felt was those fucking assholes. One time we he was this is an aside, but he he was teaching chemistry one day and someone called him and he literally just looked at his phone and he goes, "God fucking damn it! I thought I put this piece of shit on on silent." And he answered the call and was like, "I'm busy. I'm teaching." And then hung up. And I was just like sitting there. I was like. So, his name was Ted Dolter. If anyone knows him, he was great. Uh, he was one of my favorite professors I've had. Is it is it interesting to like kind of see, uh, you know, as as you're in this transition where teachers go from being this like, uh, you know, person on a pedestal in your life to being people that you're like, oh, these are just regular people who are just in a position to convey knowledge to me for the time, but like they're just as much of a person as I am mm-hmm. as anybody else. Like, is it, is it interesting getting to like start to experience that perspective on, <laughs> on, on individuals in your life? I want to say that happened at Switch. That happened more so at SIU uh-huh. because being self-taught, having my business and stuff, um, I'm able to pull bits of information from these professors, but mm-hmm. most of this is stuff that I've learned years before and there's some stuff I'm teaching my professors and Mm -hmm. they're having me convey to the class as well Uh, and it's weird because it's like these are supposed to be people trained to teach me and I'm teaching them but it's not a bad thing it's not like a diss on the teachers in any way it's just we live in a place where there's so much shared knowledge and Mm -hmm. everyone knows something someone doesn't you know everyone has something to teach everyone has something to learn Mm -hmm. and I don't know I think if you're not continuously learning you're kind of wasting your time like even if you're in an environment that's not conducive to learn you should still seek to learn something because there's so much knowledge in the world Um, and yeah so I think that's where that shift in mindset happened is I'm like wait this is weird I'm not like reading from a textbook anymore I'm you know learning through experience it's it's so Father Brown was one of my early mm-hmm. guests on the podcast, and his line has been for many, many years that it is it is the young people that have everything to teach the older people, mm-hmm. right? And it's something that he's you know that he's carried through uh, in his public addresses during uh, memorial services for mm-hmm. Kishana, right? And it's something that you're speaking through right now as one of those young people that has something to teach folks mm-hmm. that are older than you, right? And I think there's a flip side to that coin, though, because I think a lot of students hear that. Yeah. And they hear, oh, the old people should be learning from us. Yeah. But I think the flip side of the coin is young people should respect older people because yeah. they've been through it all before. Yeah. There's they a have wisdom. Of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so I think a lot of students don't respect the older people because they're like what do they know yeah. we're in this new generation we have new tech we are kind of experts at this new tech because we mm-hmm. grew up with it but you should still respect the older people and be like they have a lot to give that you may not even know they have to give yeah mm-hmm. well and, and it's funny because you look at things like just something as simple as a cut function inside of a film program right mm-hmm. why is it called the cut because you cut film because <laughs> you cut film right like why is why is the uh, oh, uh, the graphic, some of the graphic designer stuff, like the red line or whatever mm-hmm. the, the different things are uh, in that world. It's because they came out of like a physical red line that we placed on a, a mat to, mm-hmm. to, you know, shape a shape, a shape, right? It's just they, these, there is an origin for everything and you just yep. have to get an understanding of what the origin is for the action that you're in the midst of now. Definitely. Yeah. And um, I think if I was a filmmaker 30 years ago when it was, mm-hmm. or 
probably longer than that, 40 years ago when it was still super analog. And mm -hmm. I was I was editing film. I think I would not be in this. I would have quit. I would have been like, no. I don't <laughs> like make computers are new. I'll go make some of those. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Just cutting up feet or meters or, you know, yeah. miles of film. <laughs> Literally miles of film, yeah. I don't think that sounds like an enjoyable yeah. time. Now I can hop onto my NLE and just edit away, yeah. you know, spend a few hours on it. What does NLE stand for? Nonlinear editor. Oh, okay. Yep. So, uh, like Premiere Pro is mm -hmm. the one that I use. I want to switch over to Final Cut, but that's kind of off topic. Yeah, and I'm sure it's expensive and like a whole different like ecosystem to work in too. The thing with Final Cut, the reason I want to switch to it is because Premiere, uh, Apple came out with their M1 chip, uh -huh. which is just stupid powerful mm -hmm. for no reason. And it's super inexpensive. And so I have an M1 Mac mini mm -hmm. and Premiere is not optimized for it. And so, uh, my Canon R6, Premiere can't handle the highest end, like 10-bit, 422, 4K footage out of that. Mm -hmm. uh, Premiere just can't handle it. It like mm -hmm. breaks down. Yeah. But Final Cut can just smoothly edit it. And I'm like, I'm like nerfing myself shooting on this camera right mm -hmm. now. I'm shooting 1080p 10-bit instead of 4K 10-bit mm -hmm. just because my computer can't handle it. Mm -hmm. But if I switch softwares, then it would be able to. Huh. So. I mean, that's it's it's you got to match all of your equipment together. That's the other complicated part that like, okay, you're like, oh, well, you can take a good picture. It's one thing to take a good picture. It's another thing <laughs> to have the knowledge of how to navigate different lenses, different bodies, different editing mm -hmm. programs, different lighting systems, different sound systems. Different, I mean, there's, there's so much going on. You mm -hmm. know, like, heck, this podcast is a good example right now. Just the, the lack of audio quality that the last several episodes have had have be, been because of a very specific component to the ecosystem. We're in a room that has bare walls, even though I'm trying to change that slowly but surely. Um, and, I wonder and, if your audio sounds better than mine does, just because you have the wall of foam behind you. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> so from, from that, so the, the interesting thing about this setup, um, the audio on that microphone is less echoey than the audio on this microphone because that's got the feet on it. It's got rubber feet to the floor. <laughs> this has the cylindrical base on uh -huh. it. So the base on this actually reverberates back up into this microphone. This is more like a shock mount. I just totally... Not that, so that probably going to sound no, great. No, you're good. I mean, <laughs> no, all your levels are still just fine. Perfect. You're, you're safe and in place. Um, but you're, so you're, right now, you're using your skills with the daily. Is this your first semester of the DE or have you been at the DE? This is my second one. So I was a photographer, staff photographer last semester. Mm -hmm. This semester, I'm the multimedia editor. Um, newly created position. There's like the ed board. And mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know like what editor in a newspaper means. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean I'm editing photos and video as like my full-time did there. Yeah. It's... Uh, kind of like a manager. Yeah, you're reviewing right? other people's work. Yeah, exactly. And then I manage what they're doing, send them out on uh, things, delegate roles, mm -hmm. whatnot. Um, and I don't get paid enough for what I do. Nobody, dude, neither nobody does. Gets paid neither does Ore, who's the editor in chief. <laughs> Her especially. I mean, she's working so much. Yeah. I'm hitting like consistently 32, 35 hours a week. Mm -hmm. I only get paid for 20 of those yeah. each week. And. Um, but you know, it's it's a good learning experience. It's good to go on a resume in the future. Yeah. Um, and I think my favorite part of the job has definitely been meeting people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would never have met you if yeah. it weren't for me needing to come here for a shoot. Like, I need a picture. Yeah, and you're like, hey, you're like the new Brian. And I'm yeah. like, you know Brian? <laughs> but 
Dude, it's so funny, and, and it's and it, it worked out well. I was like, man, I'm you you are you really are playing the replacement for Brian just for this day. We were gonna try and shoot today, but he had to get to do coin for stuff, so we're gonna shoot uh, next week sometime. His well, I beat him onto it too. Oh, his podcast. Okay. Yeah. Well, no. Oh, no, his podcast episode. Podcast. So I beat him on here too. Yeah, 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 I beat you, him. You, I beat yeah, Ore. You, you, you lapped everybody, but now I've got a I'm really good reason to get everybody <laughs> on the podcast sometime soon. Yep. And I've been meaning to like, I, I literally, I got Ore's phone number like. Four or five months ago, and have just not texted her like yep. I need to. Be like, hey, what's up? But let her get settled into the semester, get going, and then there. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I I do want to touch on it just just for a little bit. Um, is is uh, you know what you have been covering just in the past uh, couple days, right? Kishana's death, um, you know, has has opened up for a flood of activity on your end, and you have had to be there for all of this activity. I've worked way more hours this week than I planned to. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, is is this is this one of the first um, kind of emotional events that you've had to engage in as a as a photojournalist? Know, photojournalist. It definitely is. Um, last semester, I didn't really hit anything. Like, you know, it, it, this event really made me realize the effect my work has on a community. Mm-hmm. Because before it was like, okay, highlight this cool thing that happened or highlight, you know, this or that, go capture this sports event. It, it kind of felt like just like, oh, in case you missed it, you know, mm-hmm. for the community. But now it's like people are searching for answers. People are searching for information. Yeah. Um, people want to know what happened. Yeah. Um, and it made me realize how much of an impact what we do in mm-hmm. journalism has on that very specific thing. Yeah. Um, not to toot our own horn, but we were one of the first people to cover the vigil mm-hmm. and the events as a whole that day. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's just, if we hadn't gotten out that information and if no other newspaper had, people would have just been in the dark, yeah. you know? Um, people rely on journalists to get information. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of a burden too, because then we have to be trusted to yeah. portray accurate information. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of room for error in that whole formula that has been built up over a few hundred years. People in the, in the other the, the other additional struggle that you have as a student journalist, right, is is that you get as much room for error as anybody that's been doing this for decades has, mm-hmm. right? Like you are you are held to the same standard that exactly any other journalists the same. are, because the role is the role no matter what. Yep. People right. still rely on us for information, so yep. we have to be just as credible, just as accurate, just as quick to get out news. Yep. Um, but the, on top of that, another challenge that students journalists face is um, people expect that credibility, mm-hmm. but they don't give us the respect for it either. Yep. Um, you know, we've had instances in the past where people won't talk to us mm-hmm. for the sole reason that we are student journalists. That's, which is silly. Yeah. It's and silly. It, exactly. Mm-hmm. Or like they... they speak condescending about mm-hmm. us uh, for the same reason we're student journalists. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we don't work full time in journalism at an established organization, but mm-hmm. the Daily Egyptian's been around since 1916. Mm-hmm. We have uh, this year's managing editor, her name's Annie. She worked at CNN for 20 to 30 years, I think. Mm-hmm. And she's the one overseeing everything that we do. So it's yeah. like, if people knew that, I think they would see us more of like, okay, they have some credibility and mm-hmm. some support to them. But a lot of people think we're just like, 
I don't know, monkeys in a newsroom typing up random things. No, <laughs> I don't think they really see us like that, but like it fits the metaphor. Yep. yep. You know? Well, and the, uh, the, the other thing that people miss as well, and this is something that I've, that I've got to credit folks for, cause I, I had, I, you know, I just had some minor corrections on, um, you know, a piece last semester where I just reached out to, I can't even remember who, um, uh, oh my gosh, why did I just forget her name? She's now writing for the Southern this semester. Callie? Thank you, Callie. Mm-hmm. You know, I made she was the editor-in-chief last semester. And, and, and she, you know, for, for, for a, you know, a, a minor, uh, you know, minor change in, in just how I may have been quoted, something I was like, hey, you know, can you guys just look at this and here's the more specific reference here? Do you mind to just, you know, look at that and make sure that everything's accurate? Possibly. They're like, absolutely no problem. Like the responsiveness, right? Mm-hmm. That, that being in a student journalist role that you're not you're not quite at that point of burnout that some folks may be and like look at a correction as a begrudging thing right yep. you look at a correction as a way to grow and like yes i want to respond to this i want to engage with this yep. and so long as somebody's just kind enough to me about it it's constructive be criticism okay. yeah <laughs> it's constructive criticism but we have had instances in the past there's certain sources that just won't speak with us yeah because we've messed something up in the past, yeah. and I, I think this goes for any jo- like journalistic oh, no doubt, no doubt. company. Um, is if we build bad relations with sources, then they won't want to give us information. Yep. And there's certain people in the community that are such prominent sources of information. They mm-hmm. continuously are involved. Uh, Nancy Maxwell is a good example yeah, of that absolutely. because she is so involved in the community and with these different outreaches. Mm-hmm. And for something like what tragically happened to Kishana she has been a invaluable source to go to because mm-hmm. she's leading these vigils. She's leading this and that and that for the community. And if we had a bad relationship with her, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have access to any of that information. Yep. And there's certain sources in the past that we have built bad relationships with that we just don't have access to information to because of that. And we're sorry. <laughs> if you guys want to reach out to us again. <laughs> we're always here. Yeah. And, you know, we were maybe more apt to that than most journalists because once again, yep. we're student journalists. So yep. we're maybe more prone to mistakes, but like you were saying, we're held up to the same standards. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, man, I, I appreciate it. And it's cool just being around it, right. To, to see time and time again, how our news environment locally is impacted by the work that starts out of, Mm-hmm. That you know that little newsroom. At, I mean, what, what's the is the room number twelve forty five or? I, I don't know. know. I have no clue. Twelve forty eight, something like that. The, I think twelve forty eight, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Communications uh, just, building. The the just the what what comes out of there and 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 where people go and and if we didn't have that in our region specifically, that we could just as easily be a a news desert as many other rural communities around yep. the country are. Right, and there's simply no vacuum that some jerk with a Facebook page or a group or a website or email list or Instagram account, haha, um, <laughs> you know, can can fill a void of like, you know, real real journalism, yeah, uh, you know, from uh, uh, you know from a professional perspective. So, well, there's been a lot of things that you guys have posted on WTF Carbondale that I've like seen and been yeah. like. Hey, should we cover this? Like, I don't know. I feel like sort of the more grassroots um, organizations that are less standardized mm-hmm. usually get things before us and usually 
do things pretty pretty damn well. Well, it, so the, the the interesting part on that, right, is that there is there is now a, a step or a layer between an action happening and that news organization. That is some level of self-reporting in the middle where people are projecting their own story out into the ether, mm-hmm. and then how does that then get you know, worked up through the steps of a legitimization, yep. whether it's just somebody making a post on their personal page and it being shared hundreds of times to, you know, somebody just posting the right thing in the right way that the right person at a news organization sees and says, that's newsworthy. Yep. We need to have our eyes on that. The broader community needs to see it. When I also think, um, I don't know how much, like what your process is with WTF Carbonale, but definitely there's less like censorship there. You guys are a lot more able to just cover anything and everything in the community. Well, the, the a lot of the ideas like giving just giving that broad communicative space to the community as, as a whole, right? I try really diligently to limit it by people who are actually physically here, mm-hmm. right? I'm not 100% on that, but like that's since probably about six months into the group project, I've been focused on that component for the for the group communication that is kind of the the, the two way street function mm-hmm. of the of the project as a whole. Um, and then, you know, outside of, you know, I, I've kind of uh, compared it to gardening as of late. Like, I have to go and I have to pull some weeds out every now yeah. and then, but for the most part, try and leave as much as I can. But so long as it's not interfering with, like, the rest of the, uh, you know, the flowering of, of information, then for the mm-hmm. most part, it can stay. Um, that, that that allows people, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to go feel comfortable putting this out there. And maybe mm-hmm. there will be a response. And exactly. maybe there will be anything from... A city official to a news reporter to a neighbor that'll just let me borrow something. It's like, mm-hmm. how do you just make that connection so that the information can allow people to achieve an objective that they wouldn't have otherwise achieved without having that information accessible? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the an underpinning of it. Yeah, and <laughs> people are maybe more like likely to tell you information than an actual news organization because yeah. a news organization can be a little intimidating. Yeah, they're like, oh, they're gonna go and blow this out of proportion. But yeah. with you, they're like. No, oh, they might make a funny post about this. And it's so important because it's yeah. like, otherwise that information never gets out there. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's as silly as it sounds like the driving in town in the past couple of weeks that has been like a great note, right? And we're, yeah. we're having a good laugh about it right now. We're like mocking the fact that we're all like talking about how crazy the traffic is yep. because it's humorous on one hand, like, ah, oh, we're all just posting and talking trash about driving because it all sucks. But then at the same time, there was a rollover right in the middle yep. of 13 this morning that like shut down. Was there traffic. really? Oh yeah, dude. It was like a, a, a major thing that occurred. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, that, that, that probably injured some people uh, that, that had an impact on, on a lot of folks actually just traversing through town. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a major cleanup. I, you know, it, it didn't knock out power this time, but the one a week or two. Ago oh my did. gosh. Yeah. Uh, that you know, one was these, crazy. These are things that really occur. And it's like, okay, well, what information do you share around these things to have some sort sort of uh you know impact or what you would hope would be some sort of impact positively on whether people are going to drive better or not in town when i don't even <laughs> think the daily egyptian covered that power outage right uh-huh. but i remember being at bandanas it was like moving night or the day after yeah, yeah it was like right in the middle of it and uh, we had power and we had some people come in and they're like hey no one else has power <laughs> and i stepped outside and it was just pitch black uh-huh. everywhere. And I was like, this is really weird. The Circle K across the street from Bandana's no power. Uh-huh. And I'm like, how did we, how do we still have power first of all? But then what happened was my immediate next question. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And if it weren't for pages like yours, I wouldn't have known. Yeah. And, you know, still the Daily Egyptian hasn't covered that and what happened. To my knowledge. Well, and, and some of these things, right, it, as well, it's like, okay, what what is the thing that needs covered in, in the moment, right? Like, mm-hmm. a, like a, a power outage due to a car wreck may not always be, uh, you know, the, the news article that needs to be picked up. And the other side of this, right, which is one of the things that you told me you're struggling with right now, is the staffing component of it. Like, how much time, energy, yep. and talent do you have to devote to an offshoot that's a smaller story like a car wreck versus something more major? Um, you know, and, and that's, that's the struggle that newsrooms across the country are facing right now. Yep. And I want to step aside for a minute. If any of you guys out there, he (laughs) mentioned staffing, he mentioned staffing issues. Um, if you have experience with a camera, photo or video and are interested in developing that and having some real, uh, experienced people train you and teach you more, uh, we need people, we need hires like bad. So uh <laughs> definitely you can reach out to me c bishop at i th- oh man is it c bishop c bishop at dailyegyptian.com <laughs> comment in the comment in the comments yes. below if you need to too that we'll, we'll take yeah care of that. Just yeah i know my personal emails really well but for some uh, reason i don't know my journalism email right off the top of my head i think <laughs> i think that's right <laughs> but so i mean so what what has that been like for you i mean is this is this one of the first kind of management roles that you've been in uh, yeah. As far as I mean, this is is this like square one, the first management role that the you've been first. in before. Yep. So I mean, what what has that been like? Not just being in a management role for the first time, but being in a management role for the first time and being limited on the resources that you have access to at the same time, and not getting paid for the work that I'm doing yeah. to the full extent. <laughs> um, it's kind of been challenging, especially because. Um, I am just as much manager as I am staff member, mm-hmm. right? Like currently with the lower amount of staff that we have, I'm going on just as many shoots per week as mm-hmm. my staff members that I am managing, right? Uh, luckily, I kind of have a partner to manage with. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the photo editor, I'm the multimedia editor. So I try to oversee more video-centric things and mm-hmm. she tries to oversee more photo-centric things. And I was mentioning to you, uh, to you before the podcast, I, I, we founded this new position, multimedia editor, for the sole purpose of branching off into social media video, mm-hmm. stuff like that, new trendy things. And we haven't been able to branch off into that because I'm kind of being pulled back into this staff position yeah. just due to the lack of resources. Um, and just before coming here, I held a meeting with my staff, like literally minutes before I drove <laughs> over here. And I was just cramming everything in, having another job, having school. And it's like, I don't know. I'm definitely excited to graduate because mm-hmm. then it's like I can probably manage and focus more on managing yeah. at wh- wherever I end up, you know, um, and whether or not I even have a management role. Because yeah. I, I love going out and shooting. Like, it's so much fun, but management's still important, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it, my dad and I had a conversation about joining, like, the Dart or the Army or mm-hmm. the Air Force at one point. And I was like, I want to be an officer because officers make bank. And he's like, do you want to be, do you want to have a camera in your hand or do you want to be managing people and never leave your office? And I'm like, I want to have a camera in my hand. He's like, then you don't want to be an officer, you know? And it's like, yeah, management made so much money, but they lose out on the field shoot, like the field shoots Mm -hmm. and the actual fun aspects of why a lot of people start working somewhere. Well, in the, in the mix of it too, especially if you stay the, the private professional track, right. That you can Mm -hmm. be a mix of a manager and shooting, you mm-hmm. know, work yourself into a, you know, director of cinematography for your own 
system of people, yep. you know, that are working for and with you that, you know, yes, you get to, I'm going you know, to be hands on with five cameras at the same time through five different people yep. in a room with me. I mean, I, I know the feel, man. I mean, just being, yeah. being in the room and, and even though I don't have the same technical expertise as the people that I may work with to produce something, the reality is like, I've got a vision in my head of what I want something to look like. So I'm going to tell people like, Hey, let's set up X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. places and then still feel like I'm vicariously working through them as I'm in the room watching them yep. shoot and, and move and be uh, the consummate professionals that, uh, that they are. Uh. Yeah. No, it, it's definitely a challenge. I, I, my mind went somewhere no, else. Go, yeah, go, go with it, man. What's the highest viewed podcast you've gotten? Oh, uh, so here's, here's the thing. I've got, I've got three places for distribution. Facebook, YouTube, uh, and then audio distribution uh, to Trust Apple Music, podcasts. Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I run through Anchor for mm-hmm. the audio that comes out after the videos do because I just rip the audio straight from the videos once they're on YouTube mm-hmm. and then dump that onto Anchor and it distributes. Um, it says that my numbers are quite low, like maybe ten listens on the audio podcast, which. With the distrib, I don't think that's. I was about to say, like, I see like 200 views on YouTube. I'm like, I don't know. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and YouTube's probably the least active one that it, you it have. It is. It is. YouTube's really there as, as like the catalog, right? Mm-hmm. So if ever I lose something somewhere else, I can always pull it out gotcha. of YouTube and replace it elsewhere. So YouTube highest view is probably like three or four hundred. Nothing okay. crazy. Um, so and then and then Facebook which the numbers aren't as, as realistic as they could or should be, right? Because anything that's over a 10 second view on YouTube counts as a view. Mm-hmm. So, right, so if I have 2,000 um, views on, sorry, on Facebook, I meant to say Facebook. So if I have 2,000 views on Facebook, um, you know, of those 2,000 views, maybe a couple hundred of them are actual watch throughs, gotcha. right? Uh, and the rest of them may be anywhere from, you know, 10 seconds to 10 minutes uh, in observation. Uh, in those, I think I'm, you know, the a standard one will get 800 to 1,200 uh, views, and a good one will probably get around 2,500. Okay. Uh, and that's usually in kind of the first two weeks on the time frame. Um, so yeah, those are kind of your benchmarks. High high number on uh, Facebook is 2,500. High number on YouTube is like 300. High number on audio only is 10, but that number is probably not correct. <laughs> So let me tell you this then, all right? I want to beat that with this episode. Yeah, go with Just because I'm an optimistic guy, and people at Bandanas told me the um, good positive vibes only die. Like, I don't know. I just have a really out- optimistic yeah. outlook. Even if we don't hit that, I want each of you guys watching this right now, <laughs> share it, all right? Anyone you know, all right? I Get I might be funny. I don't hit, know. Yeah, hit, hit, <laughs> Maybe hit, a little yeah, bit. You're, you're, yeah, you're I might be right a now. little bit funny, but like <laughs> probably worth a share, right? So just share it. You're probably in a frat or something. You got like six people in your house right now you can show it to. Like, <laughs> alone. Hey, and right? here's the deal. <laughs> if you guys share it and like you got frat presidents or like notable people, like. They can be side, in this seat. Yeah. They can yeah, be right it, here. And it's a surprisingly <laughs> comfortable seat for an old metal chair. I've been here for. How long have we been doing uh, this? Like an hour? We're 46 minutes, 36 seconds. I've been sitting seconds. here for 46 minutes, <laughs> and my butt does not hurt. It's <laughs> yeah, all gravy, man. <laughs> <laughs> so share it. Because I want to smash that goal. There you go. I would love to. You know what? And, and, I, and I appreciate, here's, here's the thing that I struggle with, right? Is the folks that are positive in the toxic positivity way. The, mm-hmm. we can't acknowledge a flaw or a problem type of deal. We're just going to 
coat it over with this toxic positivity and go from there? Like, do you find yourself in a balance of like, yeah, I'm going to be the positive guy, but I'm not going to be the guy that like just swipes away the bad yep. stuff and acts like it doesn't exist <laughs> type deal. In that case, I'm like, we can do better. Right. Right. Like if something bad happened, yeah, something bad happened, but let's do better. Yeah. Right. It's not the end of the world. Um, not by any means. And there's a lot to grow, a lot to grow from, but. Did you get any of that, uh, any of that mindset from your mom? I know we talked a lot about your dad, but. <laughs> oh no, don't, don't go blank on mom. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> it, was her, it was her video camera in the airport when you were six years old. Man. I definitely did from her like this, this very caring sense about me and just. Yeah genuine kindness and responsibility but i don't know about the positive part no no no. i, mean, I, <laughs> I love my mom to death <laughs> no, no, hey man no if she's the balance right if, if yeah. like you know if, if dad's the positive and mom's the the realist right like that's a good... yeah maybe yeah that, that's a good way to put it that's yeah. probably how it actually is <laughs> but oh uh, no i mean that, and that's the that's the reality of a lot of households man that like you know, you got you got your you got your dreamers on one side, and you got your grounded folks on the other, and somewhere in between that, you have some decent children. My dad and, and I are the, best. are the exact same person. I swear. Yeah. I already mentioned how we both grew up kind of doing the same sort uh -huh. of things, and he went on and did public relations and advertising his entire career. Not advertising, but same sort of realm. Like you were saying, it's all one thing. Yeah. And um, but he invents stuff. Yeah. And he is a thinker. He just is constantly thinking about the most absurd things. Uh -huh. And I'm the exact same way. <laughs> and we're vocal about it, right? Uh -huh. Like I have a million and one ideas just swimming around my head at any given point. Mm -hmm. And none of them will ever work. Not yeah. none of them, but like most of them will never work. Yeah, but you got, but you got to have them. Yeah, and I'm like writing them down. I'm taking notes on whatever piece of paper I can find. Yeah. Um, I was on a caterer the other day and I came home and I was like, I got an idea. I'm going to record this into my phone. Yeah. And um, he's the exact same way. But I don't know. Part of me wants to succeed in something like that just because my dad never did. Not to like, not in a way of putting him down, but because I think he sacrificed a lot of what he could have done Are we talking about to like raise the a family. Stuff and like yeah. The, the, yeah. And I think he sacrificed a lot of that to raise a family and yeah. support a family, right? Have a stable job, have the assurance. Especially because we were a one-income family. My yeah. mom, you know, gave up her career to stay at home and raise mm -hmm. my brother and I. And so I really want to succeed just because of the sacrifice him and my mom made. Yeah. You know, because if him and I are so similar, he 100% could have. Like, 100% yeah. could have. But he just didn't because he you know, worked 60 hours a week to have enough income for us, yeah. you know? So well, that's definitely where I'm at. <laughs> the, the, the being in business early now, right. Is, is a space where you're set up where you can take the risk, right? Like I've you had can, this same conversation with him. I know where this is going. <laughs> well, go ahead and take us there then my friend. I mean, yeah, no, like you were saying, I can take risks. I can afford to lose every penny in my pocket. Yeah and not worry about it, yeah. right? Um, now, I don't wanna like default on a loan or anything like no. that, but like- But you understand the space of privilege that you occupy. Right? Exactly, you know, and I have, I mean, especially societal like norms. Yeah. A, you know, 35 year old man, it's not really normal for him to live with his parents, but like a 19 year old kid, yeah. if I lost every penny in my pocket, I could go live with my parents and no one would bat an eye, Yeah. you know? 
it's okay to be poor when you're in your 20s. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize that because they want to like show off this flashy lifestyle and whatnot. But like, you don't have to yeah. at this age. You can dump all your money into something you're passionate about and hope for the best and work your ass off. And I'm only doing some of those. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably should work a lot harder for what the goals that I have. But um, it's a balancing act. And I, yeah. I kind of plan to once I graduate is yeah. like, hit the ground running and hope for the best. And if everything fails, then, you know, I have a degree that I can get a job with. Yeah. But before then, I would like to really give it one last good go of like, can <laughs> I Dude, let me, make it? I gotta I got tell you straight up, man. Like I've been, I've been rolling the dice on like entrepreneurial endeavors for, since I was your age, legitimately. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh my God, I kill you. I just use the phrase as I was your age. Oh, it was painful. Oh, it, was like I just took it made pull. me feel a lot younger than I oh, am. <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, but I mean, I mean just, the, just the difference in, in you know, I, I mean, I've burned through probably like, I don't know, between four and six like business projects in, mm-hmm. in different ways, uh, you know, since since my early days in college to to now. And I'm just now finding one that's, where I'm like, yeah. this makes sense. And, and somebody that, especially for, Having always known that like media and and entertainment uh, and information was always the space that I was going to be in and wanted to be in, uh, I just tried to transfer that activity into different uh, spaces. It, it was like, um, where am I going with this? Um, it was having to realize like the amount of time that it goes into building something of value in the media space. Like it's one thing to start a a you know, like an HVAC business, mm-hmm. right? And you're like, okay, I'm in an HVAC business. I've got a truck. I'm going to go out here. I'm going to go ask people to let me install HVAC at their place, right? But like in the media business, you've got to build a portfolio and this credibility in industry in a way that's not just like B2B. A network, yeah. yeah. B2C sales or something like that. It's, it, is, it is having to produce, 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 not get paid, not get paid, not get paid. And then at some point in time, strike just the right chord and now you're off to the races and a lot of times it's not even like strike the right chord and you're off to the races you're like one step after the other you're like oh this is working a little bit better than that and then you do it more and more and you're like oh maybe maybe i do this instead and you slowly build to where people are like oh this is good content you know and then it's like you have a formula that works and finding that formula takes time and like you were saying you don't get paid for most of it Mm -hmm. Um, well, and that's what just, you're working on right now because you want to do the videos to teach people like me yeah. who have the limited knowledge of how to use this whole <laughs> set of equipment that's in front of me mm-hmm. of how to use it better. <laughs> when I have experience, my business has been in business. It, I organized it last uh, April, mid-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. I think a lot of people did that. They were either like couch potatoes the entire time or they're like, yep. I have a lot of free time. <laughs> and um, I was definitely more on the side of like, let me take a massive risk and see how it pays off. Mm-hmm. And um, so in that time, I've shot a lot of weddings, a lot of real estate photo video, mm-hmm. done a lot of portraits. And so I have, you know, I, what's it been now, a year and a half of experience of mm-hmm. like actual professional uh, photo video services. Cause like, yeah, I was doing photo video for two, three years before that, working at a large church in video production. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really have that like professional mm-hmm. experience until I actually like got myself under a business, got work going. And so that gives me some credibility for that video content that I've been wanting to make. And I definitely want to switch to more of like a content 
gauged business model um, mm -hmm. because it's a lot more sustainable, I think. Mm -hmm. You're not relying on, well, so how many people live in Carbonate? Like 30,000 uh, less? We are at uh, 21,000. Ish. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just a little bit over 21,000 as per the latest census. So 21,000 people, as someone in my business, I am looking at a very small percentage of those people that need my services. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm reliant on them for my income, mm -hmm. right? But with content and the internet, there is billions of people in the world that I can reach, mm -hmm. you know? And so I, I definitely want to switch to something that has, that's such a large audience. It's more saturated, yeah. right? But it's just a giant pool of people that can pay me money. Well, and the, <laughs> the other side of it, right, is when, when you bring a certain level of quality and understanding to mm -hmm. it, right? There are, there are all sorts of people that do it and do it okay, but there are mm -hmm. only a handful of people that do it and do it very well. And I need right? to reach that point of doing it very well. I don't think I'm there yet. Yeah, but. oh yeah, dude, uh, yeah. You got, you got all the time. <laughs> I mean, I, I, think of, I think of somebody like an MKBHD, right? Mm, that, I love him. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's, here's the, I, I, take, I take a lot of my cues in digital media from MKBHD and Doug DeMuro. Mm -hmm. Um, both of them are, so Doug DeMuro is a, is a, um, is a, is a, uh, car reviewer. Uh, and he's just a little bit older than I am, uh, which makes him very young for automotive journalism in mm -hmm. general. Um, and both of these guys produce essentially reviews, right? And, and what I would define as critical media, right? Mm -hmm. And, and just watching how these guys are, are value where, where they, where they look to derive value from their criticism uh, and, and understandings of products that they share with their audience, mm -hmm. right? And, and having that critical component, no matter what you're, you're studying, whether, whether it is, you know, new phones like MKBHD or cars like Doug DeMuro or, you know, makeup or, uh, you know, just what, whatever it may be, food. I mean, just any number of things that, that exist out there. If you can understand how to break it down for the audience, you're going to develop that audience. If you can do it in the morsels that are the right times mm -hmm. and the right digestive pieces, and that's what you were talking about as well, was like, you don't just want to go out there and make, oh, here's a 30-minute tutorial on how to use my Canon Exactly. Like, because, okay, my friends that I'm, like, close with, they know me for three things. Um, I can talk for hours on camera stuff, uh -huh. weather, and uh, religion. Uh -huh. But focusing on the first two, like, camera stuff and weather, I just have... I'm like an encyclopedia about like just fact after fact about information and information. Most of that's like completely irrelevant, uh -huh. but like, um, I could totally make videos just talking for hours, teaching someone. Like mm -hmm. if I were to teach you video, you know, how to do it, which I need <laughs> help I can get. This is, this is just as imperfect as any other video that I've shot. <laughs> I, uh, I don't think I'd be nearly even remotely close to what I'm trying to produce for the internet. Cause oh, it's yeah. like, I could talk to you for hours about a single topic. Yeah. But the person on the internet doesn't want to watch a two-hour video about shutter speed. Yeah. They want to watch like two minutes, like how do I get my shutter speed working on my camera, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so that's kind of what I'm having to do. That's the big struggle is like when I sit down and put pen to paper or I guess typing, yeah. I'm like, okay, how do I condense like an hour's long conversation into five minutes yeah. and make it informative and get all the right bits of information in there and also obtainable and accessible because I have to refrain from using terms that I know that other people don't, you know, um, and I have to go at a slow enough speed that people can follow along and learn with. And it's just, 
it's but challenging at a fast enough speed that they don't get bored <laughs> yeah it, it's it's a balancing act and honestly i've only made one video so far in that series that i plan to make mm-hmm. um mostly because i'm working at bandana so much but i told my boss last week hey i can only work tuesday thursday mornings yeah. and if that doesn't work then i'll put in my two weeks because i was like i'm getting busier and busier at the daily egyptian i just need to cut back on making money because that's really what bandanas was and i need to focus on something that i'm passionate about and just need to dump time into it and um we'll see i've made one video i'm still figuring out the formula still fine-tuning it but you know maybe i'll be back on the show like six months from now and be like hey I don't know. Do you even do recurring guests? <laughs> so, so here's here's my thought on the recurring guest stuff, and this is this is what I've been having to manage out. So I'm at eight, episode 86 right now. Um, I was really hoping to hit 100 episodes before the the year mark for my first published episode. Um, it's like September 13th. I can okay. still possibly make it. Like I'm, it's still it's still it's still doable. Okay. Um, just reach out to Ori. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, I, I, may, I may just have a bunch of daily Egyptian folks come through. Boom, 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 boom. Here's the entire roster. Made a playlist Egyptian. about it on YouTube. Like daily Egyptian <laughs> well, people and, and, you've and never I, I heard mean, of. Legitimately, I did. Uh, I did do. Um, even though you, you'll, uh, I'll share these with you afterwards with the Paul Simon Public Policy Institute. I had those mm-hmm. folks on. I, I've had. Um, you know other other sets of folks that have that have been thematic in mm-hmm. in nature uh, through the podcast. So I'm, I'm hoping to keep up with that. Um, what what was the question again? It was. Uh, do you do recurring guests? Recurring guests. Thank yep. you. So yes, I'm I'm going to. I have done one recurring guest thus far. That was because they were running for office at two different points in time. Jessica yeah. Bradshaw, um, and then. I want to do recurring guests like on maybe like a multi-year run, like really, you know, two to three years out, you get good reflection. Six months is good, but like that's oversaturation of a single guest. Yeah. Like I want to see like- People wouldn't be like, wasn't he just on here? Like, yeah, like yeah. it's almost like a time capsule. Like, okay, you're going to go out and you're going to live your life for the next three to five years after this. And maybe at some point in time in those three to five years from now, you'll swing back through Carbondale or you'll still be here ascending, uh, you know, the digital ranks of the world around you because <laughs> you can do it from anywhere. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and that you'll come back on and we'll go, well, let's talk about what it was, what life was like. Three Remember like ago. you were 19 and you sat down in, you know, this barren room and now you're going to be like out in a giant studio and I'm yeah. going to be like <laughs> still me probably. I don't right. know. We'll, we'll, have, we'll have a live studio audience and the whole shebang. It'll be a whole different You'll hear claps and stuff. And uh, But I mean, you'll, you'll, and, and then we'll, we'll be able to see like where, what people have grown from. Uh, again, the, the previous podcast. You'll that, be the next Joe Rogan. And uh, you, I said, you'll be the next Joe Rogan. Yeah, well, here's, yeah, yeah. In, in with, uh, with some sense about me. Um, it's, it's, dude, it's so disappointing. Like I want, I want Joe Rogan to be so much better than he is. And it's just not happening. And I don't want to go to this rabbit hole. I, yeah. Right I don't now. even really watch him that much. <laughs> it's just, it's just a bummer because I'm like, I'm like, oh, it's the comedian guy and oh, the guy on, on the digital media side, but also the guy that's hawking garbage supplements just the same. What are we doing here, man? Like people are trusting you for information. Like you yeah. got to do better. I think that's, that's kind of important because that's kind of the space between digital personalities and news yeah. is becoming it's very muddy. A, it's a thin line. Very yeah. Muddy. And it's people are trusting personalities. Yep instead of objective news sources and on both sides of the spectrum it's making things complicated and 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 that's it's again a a space that i occupy with this wtf carbondale platform Mm -hmm. is like 
like understand that people are trusting it in part as a news source, but also looking at it as a personality. And I like, mean, it has WTF and, in the name. Like, I don't yeah. know. I look <laughs> at that and I'm like, you take it. I, I well, because when I first saw it, I was like, oh, there's gonna be stupid shit that happens in Carbondale, yeah. and for a lot of it, it is. And I'm yeah. like, that's the only place I see it because Carbondale, a lot of stupid shit happens right. here. It's a wacky place, man. It really is. You would never <laughs> expect it. It's like in the little foresty area of Southern Illinois. Mm. It's just a little pocketed town. It's like, whoa. All of that happens there. Uh, what? Yep. <laughs> you would yep. never guess. You'd be like, "Ah, oh, St. Louis. Yeah, I could see it happening. That's a big city. Carbondale yep. with twenty-one thousand people. What? <laughs> yeah. Yep. I mean, it's. And I always kind of explain it to folks. Like, it is. It is the closest you have. You have every component that you would kind of see in a city scaled down to a small town and then meshed together. Right. Where in larger metro yep. areas, activity and organizations and individuals and groups of people have such large pockets of activity that they're able to uh, insulate themselves. Here, mm -hmm. no one group is big enough to insulate themselves outside of maybe just like the difference of being a university community versus engaging in the town. But even that doesn't really happen. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of crossover and activity there. Um, so yes, recurring guests is in the plan. I, I really want to do it as a, as a benchmark for, you know, kind of a, a year, you know, multi-year growth mm -hmm. uh, and revisit folks. And the same thing for like my personal growth with the podcast, like, you know, when we're at 500 guests, right, then it's reasonable to go back, you mm -hmm. know, a couple years prior and then start picking out, you know, some really significant guests that have made particular strides or that you just want to touch base with again. Um, so if we hit that milestone of views, he might have me back is what I'm hearing. Oh, I mean, yeah, I'll have you back regardless. In like three to, in three to five years, whether you are here or somewhere else. Living on the streets of St. Louis, homeless. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think that will be the case. But um, the, I mean, that is, a, I mean, the dude, that, that's an, another motivating component. Like understanding that at any point in time, like the, the comfortable life that you're living could just go away. Mm -hmm. Right? Like it's a, it's a motivating thing. Like, yeah. You gotta work, or else there's a it fire could go under away. your ass. Yeah. Yep. One hundred percent. So, I think that's it, man. I'm I'm at like one oh five. You got anything else before I jump out here? Uh, you can view my portfolio and nice. my uh, business website at quippedmedia.com. Q u i p p e d media.com. Quippedmedia.com. That's my company. Um, you can see my work there. Uh, not particularly like proud of it. I, I have a lot of the work that I've done and paid for up there. Mm -hmm. But it's, I haven't done like a personal project that I'm passionate about yet yeah. that I'm like, this is me, right? It's always been stuff that I've had to follow the client's guidelines for. Mm -hmm. So that's the one thing that I'm hoping with like this video creation, uh, like in tutorial is like, this is something I packaged up and built myself and can actually be proud of, yeah. you know? But yeah, you can reach out to me there. Uh, that's it. That's it. There you go. <laughs> Quickmedia.com. Uh, Episode 86, WTF Carbondale Podcast. Have a good one, folks. Whatever that one may be.